So, my 1972-73 high school class, yes, I see the eyebrows going up, yes, I am that old. They have a website. Do any of your guys' classes have a high school class have a website? You can go out there, in my case, I can go out there and I can look at all the old people. As they have a lot of pictures posted from the, the last reunion, and of course I wasn't able to make the last reunion. This year will be my 40th. Um, yeah, that's scary, right? So don't you laugh, because all you young people, will you'll turn around three times, and you'll be going to your 40th high school reunion. But you know, I, I, was, I visited the site, and these people look terrible. They're so old, and they're bald. And yeah, it's bad, but... Um, I saw some football classmates that I used to play football with when I was in high school, and it brought back a great memory, and I wanted to share it with you tonight. It was a cold Friday night, November 1972. The scoreboard read Helena High School 21, North Little Rock High School 17. And there were 20 seconds left on the game clock. And we just knew we were going to lose. We knew we were going to lose. The game was lost. The problem was we were ranked number one in the state. We were expected to win the state championship. And we were playing this little dumpy, sorry, country high school, you know, a bunch of farm boys. And of course, we thought we would just go in there and show up with our cool uniforms and they would fold, right? But as you might suspect, it wasn't that way. We were losing the game. We, in fact, should have lost the game. We came in cocky. We came in overconfident. And it didn't look good. I was in the defensive huddle. We broke the huddle. All the Helena quarterback had to do, Brian will understand, all the Helena, I'm talking about American football now for you, you know, internationals. Um, all the defensive quarterback, all the, all the quarterback had to do was get the snap, and kneel to the ground, and we lose, right? So I line up behind our all-state, our all-star defensive tackle. His name is Gary Berry. Isn't that a great name? His name is Gary Berry. So the, the quarterback, he calls the snaps. The, the center snaps the ball to the quarterback. You're not going to believe. He fumbles. All he had to do was hold on to the ball, and we lose. All he had to do was hold on to the ball, and they beat the number one team in the state. He drops the ball. Gary Berry, our all-state defensive tackle, he breaks through the line, he picks up the ball, and he rambles 30 yards for a touchdown. And we won the game. I've used this illustration once before. And um, Ruth Moore, some of you may know Ruth Moore, she goes, just, she, yelled, she was sitting in the back of the church, she goes, is that a true story? <laughs> yes, it really happened. It really happened. Gary Berry scooped up the fumble. And he ran for a touchdown, final score, North Little Rock High School, 23, Helena, 21. I took away some life lessons from that experience. Never be overconfident. Always prepare. Always work hard. Right, Brian? Never be overconfident. You've got to put in the time. You've got to work hard. And the other thing I learned, I've never forgotten, it's not over till it's over. Right? It's never over till it's over. There's always hope. You know, sometimes in life you need a miracle. And guess what? As Christians, sometimes you get one. Sometimes 
you get one. We had a, a lot of great athletes at our school. Uh, we won the state championship. We also won the state ba baseball championship. I'm not bragging now, but, you know, it was 40 years ago, and it's fun to remember. Um, it was fun, I have to confess, it was fun to walk off the athletic field as a champion. Some of you have never had this experience, but I've had this experience. It's, an, it's a great feeling to be the best and to be on a team that is the best. It just feels great to be a champion. Yes, we were cocky and arrogant and stupid and prideful. That was our sin. But God had blessed us with a lot of ability and we had a lot of success. You say, well, Jim, I don't care about any of that. Why are you talking about that? You know what God says about His people, right? We are overcomers. We are conquerors. That's what we're going to talk about. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. You know the famous verse, Romans 8, 37. God says, my people overwhelmingly conquer. My people, my people, somebody broke something, yes. My people are conquerors. I love that text. One other translation says, my people are more than conquerors. One of the paraphrases says, my people are complete victors. They are full of victory. And we understand what we're talking about here, don't we? We're understanding about, we're talking about in the spiritual realm. In Christ, we are champions, we are victors, we are conquerors in the spiritual realm. It reminded me of an episode in Pilgrim's Progress. You've all read Pilgrim's Progress, I trust. If you haven't read Pilgrim's Progress, you should read it. You remember the episode when Christian is, he's trapped in, in the in Doubting Castle by the giant of despair. And the giant of despair has thrown Christian and Hopeful into the dungeon. And he comes in and he beats them every day. And, and they've just been in there for days and days and days. And the situation is becoming more and more dire. Do you remember what happens? Christian says, I've been so stupid. I've had the key the whole time. Here in my bosom. Does anybody remember what his key was to get out of Doubting Castle? Out of the dungeon of Doubting Castle. Does anybody remember what the key was? Oh, you've got to read this book. Come on. The promise of God. You have the promise of God, beloved. You have the promise of God. Now you know, I'm not a prosperity preacher. I'm not standing up here telling you to name it and claim it. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about being a champion and a conqueror in the spiritual realm. And whatever giant you have in your life, you can conquer through Christ. We are overwhelmingly conquerors in Jesus Christ. And that's one thing the Lord is going to talk to us about tonight in our text in 1 John. Did you hear it in the text? How do we... How do we overcome the world? Did you see it in the text? Look there with me real quick. Verse 4. What does it say? Someone tell me. We overcome the world by what? By what? Faith. Beloved, are you overcoming the world by your faith? Are you living your faith? Or, is it, or do you just relegate that to Sunday afternoon at church? Are you actually living your faith? We overcome the world and every giant in it by faith in our great God. 
That's the reason I read that Psalm 99, 1 through 3. Our God reigns. And I preached this morning at the Arabic church. And I told him, your God reigns. Are you living like it? You know, those of you who've been around for a while, you understand that I say this a lot. I get excited. Our God is God. So why are we living these little bitty small lives? God's left us here to be disciples, to give testimony to the greatness of our God. My people, God says, they're overwhelmingly conquerors. We conquer, beloved. Are you living? <laughs> Are you living this? Are you living by faith? Are you overcoming all the things in your life, all the giants in your life, the giants of despair and fear and anxiety? Are you overcoming those by faith? In your awesome God, who reigns, you know, Psalm 99, He reigns. He reigns over the peoples. He reigns over the cherubim. He is great and mighty in Zion. He is an awesome God. Beloved, I, I, I exhort you, as I exhorted the church this morning, go out in the world and live like that. You are a conqueror in Jesus Christ. So I hope you'll look at the text with me tonight. We can look at it together and learn together. You guys know Paul. You remember Paul. If you're biblically literate at all, you understand about Paul. I mean, here's a man who was beaten and whipped and stoned and imprisoned. And he suffered great deprivation. He was ultimately martyred. He was yet never defeated. Do you understand this, right? You can be martyred, but not defeated. What did Jesus say? Why do you fear the man who can simply kill the body? Why do you fear this man? Fear the one who can throw the soul into hell. Which we know is God. Paul was never defeated. He overcame. He was an overcomer. He, he, he encountered all of these hard times and he simply overcame. You remember the time he was stoned to death? Do you remember the time? He was stoned to death once. And this was the time when he was called up into the third heaven, right? And he saw these, he heard and, and saw great revelations of God. And God, the, the, they, they thought he was dead. And of course, God sends him back. And, and, and he just gets up and then he walks to Lystra. <laughs> Don't you love it? He was stoned to death. But God says, it's not time for my, my apostle to come home. He's a conqueror. God breathes life into Paul. And Paul gets up and he walks to Lystra. And he continues to preach the Gospel. Paul says, I can do just about every... Just about, well, I can do a few things through Christ who strengthens me. Was that how Paul said it? I can do some things. How did, how did Paul say it? I can do everything. Beloved, if you're a son or a daughter of the King tonight, you can do everything. Everything He calls you to do, you can do. You can face down every giant in your life. I've learned why there are giants in our lives. I've learned this. You already know. I don't have to tell you, right? Why are there giants in the Christian's life? So we can watch God knock them down. Right? By faith. By faith. We don't run from the giant. We watch God knock these giants down by faith. This is the way that the Christian is called 
to live. Paul says, I run the race hoping that I can simply finish. Is that how Paul said it? Someone tell me. Paul says, I run the race to win. Beloved, are you running to win? Now, if I'm an outside observer, just an independent observer, and I watch your life, do I say, now, that is a Christian running to win? Or do I say, well, that's somebody that appears to simply be playing religion with God. I mean, what would, the, what would a third-party observer think about your life? If they observed the way you live, the way you speak, the things you do, um, what would they conclude? This is someone who's running to win. This is someone who expects to conquer. This is someone who has faith in a real God. Or would they conclude something else? Well, this is a nice church member. They pay their taxes and they mow their grass. They're a good church member. Beloved, I told the Arabic church this morning, God's left you here for one reason. <laughs> to be a disciple. I say it to you all the time, it would be far better to go and be with Jesus right now, yes? To live with Christ that dies again. It would be far better to go now. You're here for one reason. To be the sweet aroma of God in every place. Every place you go. To be the sweet aroma of God in every place. Verses 1 and 2 we've covered a couple of weeks ago when we, we pulled in all the verses in 1 John that talked about loving the brethren. So we, we've talked about that, but I'm going to read it just for flow. Chapter 5 of 1 John, verse 1, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of Him. Verse 2, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe His commandments. One reason I wanted to share this verse with you again is because the whole book of 1 John is in, is in this verse. In these two verses. Again, we have another synopsis here. In these two verses, the whole book of 1 John. So what does an authentic Christian look like? We've been talking about this. What does it look like to be a disciple of Christ? And I've been saying this over and over and over again. You don't have to ask anyone if you're a Christian. You just have to read 1 John. If you look like 1 John, you're a Christian. If you don't look like 1 John, you're not. You don't need to ask me. You don't need to ask anyone. Read 1 John. God tells us right here. But look what the text says. Verse 1. Overcomers, they believe. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ, He's born of God. Now we understand what believe means in a biblical context. It's not simply mental assent, right? We understand that. It's not just, oh, I, I, I mentally assent to the, the proposition that Jesus is, is God. No. In a, biblical, in a biblical sense, we understand that that belief will come, will flow out of, the, out of our mental ascent and it'll be in our life. It'll be manifested in our life. We've been talking a lot about that. The true Christian becomes a doer of the Word. Not perfectly, but we become doers of the Word. We find this desire in our hearts to love God in our obedience. We find this desire in our hearts to love His people. This is, these are the hallmarks of a true Christian. It's right here in the text. Look, an overcomer, what? He obeys. He obeys. Right there in verse 2, he observes the commandments of God. A true Christian. He believes and he obeys. It's not simply mental assent. We do the Word. And then the third thing it says is the overcomer loves God and he loves God's people. We've been making much of this. This is the book 
of 1 John. It goes back to one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, Hebrews 11.1. Remember how God defines faith? It's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And then so, religious professionals like me can't dumb it down. God gives us a lot of illustrations of real men and women who had real faith in a real God. And they were overwhelming conquerors. Some of them actually stepped in front of giants. So God talks about, He talks about what real faith looks like. It looks like a guy building an ark when it's never rained. <laughs> That's faith, right? That's faith. You guys know how long Noah worked on the ark. How long did Noah work on the ark? Someone tell me. Anybody remember? It's like 120 years or something. I mean, it's just, he just kept working. Do you believe God like that? You know, Abraham left not knowing where he was going. Do you believe God like that? Or do you have to have everything planned down to the last detail before you'll step out in faith? Well, that's no faith at all. At all. The, the unbeliever does that. <laughs> the unbeliever does that. Barren women conceive. Barren women conceive. Men forsake the riches of the world to be associated with God's people. A farmer, outnumbered 450 to 1, engages the enemy. And a little boy stepped in front of a giant. God says, this is what faith looks like. Hebrews 11, just go study it for yourself. Just go read it. God says, this is what faith looks like. This is what Christian faith looks like. It goes in the world. You know, we've been talking a lot about this. I'm really stuck on this verse and I apologize for it. But sometimes, you know, as a preacher, you just get stuck on a verse. I think it's Daniel 11.32 if my memory serves. The people who do know their God shall be strong and they shall do exploits. God's left you here to do exploits of faith. Beloved. And then people are supposed to ask you, why do you do these crazy things? They don't make any sense to me. And you say, let me tell you about my God who reigns. Let me tell you about my, my God, my Creator God, who became a man and it was nailed to a tree because He loves me. Beloved, when you, when you live a life of faith, it's supposed to prompt people to ask questions. Why do you do this? Why do you live like this? Why do you, why do, you do, why do you give to the church? Why do you refuse to go to this place? What's wrong with you? I know God. It's your opportunity. It's your evangelism. To live by faith is part of your evangelism. We've been talking about this in these last days. R.C. Sproul, he's a great teacher, author, theologian in the States. He says this, and I think it's true. I've been a Christian for 30 years. I've observed many different churches. I've been in different churches for 30 years. I've lived in different places. And I, I believe he's absolutely true about this. I want you to hear this. He says, your average professing Christian lives like a theoretical theist. It's just all theoretical. He goes on to say, which by and large is indistinguishable from atheism. He goes on to call it practical atheism. Many people who are in the modern church, they claim to be Christians, but as soon as they walk out this door, 
They think and they live and they plan and they dream and they live just, just like the rest of the world, just like unbelievers. It's all theoretical theism. But if you watch their life, it's a practical atheism. They live by the wisdom of the world. They don't live by faith. And what does God say? My people overcome the world by what? By its wisdom. By conforming to the wisdom of the world. Is that what God said? My people are overcome by faith. Beloved, I exhort you tonight, are you living your faith? Are you living your faith? That's the only reason God has left you and me here. Verse 3, For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. Don't you love that? Let me ask you. Are His commandments burdensome? Is it burdensome for you to keep the, the, the Word of God, to be a Word doer? Do you wake up in the morning and go, man, i got to do the Word today. Is that how it is with you? Then listen, <laughs> just forget about it. <laughs> You're playing a game. The true, the true believer loves the Word of God. None of us keep it perfectly. We all struggle with different areas in our lives. But God says, my people, they keep my Word and it's not a burden. Why is it not a burden? Do you know why it's not a burden? I know you know. Those of you who are born again in here tonight, you understand why it's not a burden. Why? Because we love Him. Yes? We love Him. Preeminently. I love Him more than my spouse. Yes, we're called to that. I love Him more than my kids. Yes, we're called to that. I love Him more than my money. Of course! I love Him more than my job and career. Of course! I love Him more than, than, than everything I own. Of course! You're a disciple! That's what Christianity is, beloved. You know, when you love God preeminently like we're supposed to with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then you can really love your spouse. Then you can really love your kids then you can really be a good employee. Then you can really be uh, a powerful member of a local church. It all comes and it all flows from loving the Lord. I like what MacArthur says about this. John MacArthur, he says, it's wrong to disobey God. How many of you believe that? I know you're all sitting in church, so you all believe this. It's wrong to disobey God. Okay, everybody believes that's a true statement. But I like what he says. It's also wrong to merely obey Him in an external, unwilling, partial, inconsistent, and grudging way. Listen, I tell people all the time, you know, and it's the perfect example because we're, we're to give open-heartedly. We're, we're to give cheerfully. Listen, if you're tithing to the Lord and you hate it, you should stop. He doesn't. There's no, he, he takes no pleasure in that. If you're doing something just to, to, uh, to be a legalist, just to be a Pharisee, stop doing it. God takes no pleasure in that. There's no blessing in that for you. God expects it to flow out of the heart of His people. His Word, His commandments are not burdensome because we love Him. We sang it. All that I am is completely yours. You know, we come in here and we sing these songs. And I listen to these songs. And I wonder how many of us we sing them because they're beautiful. But how many of us are living them? Right? Is everything you have His? Or have you, 
you know, fenced off a little area that's simply yours. Let me tell you, God's going to get that area. If you belong to Him, as C.S. Lewis says, there's no bargaining with Him. He'll have all of you or none of you. This is how it always is with biblical Christianity. This is how it always is with the Lord. You remember what we saw in John chapter, 1 John chapter 2, famous verse, we know that we do not love the world. Verse 15 of chapter 2, we do not love the world, the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. This is all passing away. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. Remember when we talked about those verses? Remember I told you? God made us to lust. Right? You're made to lust. Why did God make, what did God make us to lust for? Him. And if you're lusting for anything more than God, then you have an idol in your life. And most likely you're not, you're not converted at all. You're not a Christian at all. The psalmist say it for us. My soul pants for you. My soul thirsts for you. Beloved, this is how it is. This is how it is for the born again believer. His Word is not burdensome. In fact, it is our delight. You guys know Psalm 119. If you've never read Psalm 119, go read it this week. The psalmist says, I rejoice in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. I delight in thy statutes. Thy testimonies are my delight. Oh, how I love thy law. Thy statutes are my songs. How sweet are thy words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. His, his commandments are not burdensome. They're sweet to us. And although none of us are perfect in keeping them all, it is our great desire to honor the Lord by faith as we seek to worship Him in our obedience. We love the Lord. His Word is not burdensome to us. It is our great joy. And the Lord calls us to a self-forgetting kind of love. We've been talking a lot about this. A self-forgetting kind of love. A self-giving kind of love and a self-sacrificing kind of love. This is the kind of love that God calls us to. His commandments are not burdensome because we are hopelessly in love with Him. So we don't keep His Word because we're good little Baptists or we're good little Methodists or we're good little Anglicans or we're good little Pentecostals or whatever we are. That has nothing to do with it. We may belong to one of these churches or... We may go to one of these churches. No, it's not about that. It's about love. It's relational. Verses 4 and 5. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What is it? Someone tell me. What are you supposed to be doing in the world? Yes. What? Faith. Do the Word by faith. Verse 5. And who is the one who overcomes the world? but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of 
God. There's a, there's a word, there's a Greek word here that appears four times in these two verses. Three times in the verb form, once in the noun form. It's a very familiar word. Um, it's translated overcome and it's translated victory. Some of you might be actually wearing uh, this athletic brand right now as we speak. It's the most famous athletic brand on the face of the planet. Does anyone know what word I'm talking about? Nike. Where do you think they got that word? It's Greek. Nike. It means victory. It means conqueror. Nike. Four times in three verses, God says, My people are Nike. Why? While it's not mentioned in this verse, we understand why, if we're biblically literate, because our God is God. That's why. You know, in the Greek, uh, they had this, their understanding of this word was that only the gods got the victory. Men might, men might have a small victory here and there, but only final victory was of the gods. This word means a lot. This word in the Greek, it means a lot. Why does the Christian get the victory? Because our God is in us, our God is with us, and our God is for us. Amen? That's why we overcome the world by our faith. We don't have faith in our faith. We have faith in our God. Again, we're not naming and claiming in here. We don't have faith. We're not word of faith. We don't, we don't believe there's power in, in the Word. We believe there's power in our God. And it's an awesome thing, beloved. It's an awesome thing. Our God is with us. He is in us. And He is for us. Now, this is a shocking statement in the first century to all the unbelievers around. <laughs> I mean... Any unbeliever reading this would go, now wait a minute, these people, these people, they worship, they worship a crucified carpenter from Nazareth. How can they be Nikkei? How can we be Nikkei? Because our God is God. That's how. He wasn't simply a carpenter from Nazareth. He was infinitely more. And we know the truth. He was God Himself. Come to Redeem His people. God says, My children are Nikeo. They are supreme overcomers. My children are Nike. They are ultimate victors. As I shared with you a few moments ago, Romans chapter 8, Paul talks about it. He says that God's children are over, they overwhelmingly conquer. He's just compounding that word. He just puts the word hyper in front of it. God says, My people are hyper conquerors. <laughs> Beloved, you're supposed to be living this. I'm supposed to be living this. It's a great adventure, actually. You know, if you'll ever just release your life into God's hands, if you'll ever just simply release your life into God's hands, you will be on the greatest adventure you could imagine. He will do things in your life that you, you could never have imagined that you would be involved in. If someone had told me 15 years ago I'd be standing in Milan, Italy, preaching the gospel to you, I would have said, no way! <laughs> That's ever going to happen! It's just, i got to tell you, it's just fun to go with God. You know, and so many people who claim to be Christians, you know, they're just all careful. They're just being real careful with God. And, oh, I don't want to be a fanatic. Yes, be a fanatic! <laughs> be a fanatic! It's so much fun to be a fanatic. 
in the right sense of the word. It's so much fun to just simply believe God and go with God and obey God. It just simply is. I know most, well, some of you at least would know this. You've had the experience. So, uh, some of you remember Nike's slogan a few years ago. Do you, do you remember? Nike had a slogan a few years ago. I don't know that they still use it. Just do it. Isn't that perfect? You're supposed to just do it. You're not supposed to wring your hands about it. You're not supposed to worry about it. You're not supposed to think, well, what will they say? What will they think? You know, you're just supposed to do it. I mean, there's got to be a theologian in Nike's corporation somewhere, at least in the advertising department. You're supposed to just do it. Beloved, you're supposed to do You're supposed to pull out the, the promise of God, that key, the promise of God, and vanquish the giant in your life, whatever it is, vanquish it by faith in a great God. Pull out your key and use it. As I studied this week, I, and I know I go, I go to him a lot. I go to him a couple of times, three or four times a year, but I can't help it. I go to David. I mean, what a perfect example, right? Here's a little kid who just did it. <laughs> you know, King Saul said, you can't fight him. His spear weighs more than you. You can't go out there. You're just a kid. <laughs> David said, it's not about me being a kid. What's it about? It's about my God being God. Beloved, are you living like this? Don't you love it? David goes out there. There were two things. I went and read the text uh, just this week, and there are two things that drove David. Does anybody? Well, it'd be hard for you to, to know what I'm talking about. But if you read the text, ultimately I think you'd come to understand there are two things that drove David. Faith and love. And that's what I'm talking about here tonight. We are overcomers by faith in this God we love. And oh, this God who loves us. <laughs> it's an awesome thing. You know, Christianity is just, it's almost, it's too, it, it will explode your, it will almost blow up your heart if, you know, if you think deeply about all that God has done and is saying. Saul said, you can't fight the guy. David said, it's not a problem. I took out the lion and I took out the bear. It's not a problem. God was with me with the lion and God was with me with the bear. God will take this guy out. This is how a, a Christian learns and this is how a Christian grows. You know, you do something by faith that's small, relatively small, and then the next thing God calls you to do by faith is bigger, and the next thing He calls you to do is bigger, and the next thing He calls you to do is bigger, but you know you can do the big thing because you did the small thing. This is how you mature as a Christian. This is how you grow in your faith. You just do what's in front of you. What God gives to you to do. David was zealous before the Lord. He said, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that taunts the armies of God? He was indignant that this Philistine would taunt God and His armies. And he was fervent in spirit. And he was fueled by faith. And he was fueled by love. And he stepped in front of that giant and he killed him. God expects you to be killing giants in your life as well by faith in Him. 
God expects you to kill giants. And as I said to you earlier, I, know what I learned a long time ago, I used to wonder, well, God, why are, why are these giants in my life? Because you're supposed to watch Him knock them down as you believe and as you stand by faith before the giant. God says, the Christian, my children are Nike, my children are Nikeo, my children simply do it. So beloved, I don't know what giants you have in your life tonight, but I encourage you to pull out the key that is called the promise of God. And you remember how Christian and Hopeful got out of Doubting Castle? The key opened every lock. Every lock in Doubting Castle. The key called the Word of God opened it. And they escaped. <laughs> they escaped their fear and their anxiety. Beloved, this is what God is calling us to. So I challenge you to understand that your God is an awesome God. He's not a frustrated, stymie, thwarted God. He does all that He pleases in heaven and earth. No man or demon or group of demons or group of men or groups of armies of men or groups of armies of demons can stymie the hand of God. So my challenge to you is are you living that truth? Or are you still afraid? Are you still cowering? Listen, if there's been a giant in your life getting the better of you, I, I, I exhort you tonight to leave it here. I exhort you tonight to go out into your life, face your giant. How? How are we going to do it? By faith. By faith in a great God, pull out the promise of God and just do the Word. Just do the Word this week. God says, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith. And who is the one who overcomes the world? But the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is God's Word. Let's pray together. Lord, forgive us that we often don't remember that You're an awesome God and that You're a promise keeper and that You can be trusted and that all Your omnipotent power will be brought to bear against the giant in our life. All we need do is believe. All we need do is exercise faith. We understand what You've called us to, Lord. To be doers of the Word. Not men and women who hear it and who talk about it, but never do it. You've called us and You've left us here. You've redeemed us and left us here to be strong and to do exploits that we might be a sweet aroma in the nostrils of men around us, that they would, they would catch the aroma of an awesome and mighty and great and worthy God. So Lord, maybe some of us here tonight need to confess our sin 
That we've been afraid before some giant in our life. Lord, we want to leave that fear here. Lord, give us the faith, I pray, to face our giants, each one of us, by faith in a great God. Thank You, Lord, for this strong Word. Thank You for this exhortation and this encouragement. Thank You for reminding us who we are. We overwhelmingly conquer. We are Nike. We are Nikeo. We can just do the Word because You're a great God. We pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.